Welcome everybody into another episode of the Damn Podcast with your hosts Marcus Greaves and Angie Machado. Angie, that was an ugly game. Yeah, it was 35-14. Uh that was a it was a rough one to watch. Angie, just give me uh give me your thoughts on it. Not what I expected at all, Marcus. I you know, and, and really what I was most disheartened by was the fact that the team, which we've seen in the past three weeks, really kind of come out with, and they, they fight, they claw, they scratch, they show that effort and heart and passion. We didn't see it. I, I felt like it was a revert back to last last season, and that to me was probably the most disheartening, um, aside from the fact that Arizona may be the weakest team in the Pac-12 besides Oregon State, and we couldn't even hang, you know, yeah. hang there. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was just ugly all around offensively and defensively. Uh, but I know you you spent tons of time breaking down film and, and really watching, breaking down it. So I think you could give me and our listeners a way better um, synopsis and analysis of what happened. Yeah, I mean, offensively, I'll just start there because, you know, got to be the offensive mind. They just went away from really what was working for them, you know. Um, and the biggest thing for me was the offensive line. Like, Angie, you know, we were both saying that the offensive line, like, they've been super impressive and they've been – taking all these steps forward, like you could tell with, like, Jamar Jefferson, especially at your running back position, right? You have – I mean, you don't have the depth now, but you have the talent. You know, Jamar's been killing it all season long. Your offensive line has been doing a great job. But just to start out the game, they didn't even look – you know, they didn't look right, and it didn't look right. You could tell – and I know from being a former player, there's just a feeling before certain games where you're like, okay, like this is not going to go well, right? And you know that feeling. You know, you, I mean, and you don't want to say it because you don't want to be negative. You always want to be positive, obviously. But, you know, it's just a reality of it. Sometimes you just, you know, and I could definitely tell that the players were just not feeling it that day. And, you know, obviously they're not at a point where that should be an option. You know, that maybe if it's Alabama, you know, playing like, I don't know, whoever they play, some – small D1 school that ain't no one's really heard of, then they're like, okay, we're not feeling it, but we're still going to win, you know, 31 to nothing or 31 to three or whatever they do. But at this point, I feel like the Oregon State players, at least offensively, just weren't in sync. Like, they went away from what, they're, what they usually do. I don't want to say it's on the coaches because, you know, the coaches can give you all the plays in the world, whatever, you can scheme it however you want. But if the players don't make the plays, then, you know, it's just not going to work. But – Angie, let's just start, like I said, offensively, the offensive line didn't look right. If you're a quarterback in Connor Blount, you didn't, you know, they didn't even target Isaiah Hodgins very often, right? They should be targeting him almost every play. Like, he should be their number one go-to guy. And what did he finish with? I don't even, I think he finished with, like, 20-something yards. Like Yeah, and, yeah, it was not Yeah, and I think good. it was two receptions, maybe, or three. That's the stuff that you can't do, right? So, let's just start, like I said, like, that alone should speak volumes about how big of a step backwards I think this was. And I don't want to say it's like the whole season's lost, like they took this fat step backwards. But, you know, the biggest thing for me, like I was saying, is that every single game we should see, you know, either if the offensive line isn't performing, okay, well then what about the wide receivers? Maybe they should be performing. Or if one position group can't show up and and play as well as we've seen in the past, then someone else needs to step up and do that. But not one position group stepped up. Like, the most positive thing I can take away is, uh, I don't know, Connor threw two touchdowns, but one of them was in garbage time, right? And so, yeah, yeah. you know, offensively, they were out of sync completely. Even Jonathan Smith said that. You could tell from watching the game he was just disappointed because 
he even knew like he he the offense has been playing so well and I was so excited to see it, Angie and I know you were too because it was finally time for us to see you know maybe okay this is our first complete game against a Pac-12 team and we were going to beat him right that's why I gave you that prediction of exactly you know 48 to 31 I was like it's time that you know they have great athletes for Arizona but it's time that the offense just put you know 40 plus on a Pac-12 team and just torch them you know from the very get go and they didn't and so offensively that's where I seen there's a it was just brutal but defensively the defensive line I'm not going to lie Angie that was probably the worst game I've seen them play like easily you know from the very get-go you could see that you know Arizona wasn't running anything crazy they stuck to inside and outside zone for the first half of the game and they would just run slants on the outside and that was really it right so they had I think it was his name was Sean Poindexter yeah that was it Sean Poindexter I mean he finished with four receptions for 92 yards and a touchdown but he was he was killing the defensive backs, right? And that's and I get it, you know, if you're playing man and someone runs a slant, that's what I always say you do because it'll get them open. But where's, you know, where's the hands? Like, where's trying to knock the ball down? Where's trying to get some pressure on Khalil Tate? The only positive takeaway from, you know, the starting defense was I think Hamakar Rashid had a sack and a half. Like, that was yeah. really it. You know, and there were some bright spots. Jayla Moore played pretty well. I thought, I thought um, Jeffrey Manning Jr. played pretty well. But none of that matters because the defensive line was getting killed. They made it, you know, it was so easy for the offensive linemen to deliver blocks for the running backs that, you know, when J.J. Taylor got in the open field, it was it was easy. Like, he, it was yeah. like he had these huge running lanes. And, you know, with it, what was it, in the first three minutes of the game, J.J. Taylor had a, a 40-yard touchdown run, and he was untouched. You know, the linebackers were kind of in the right spots, but even then, you know, the defensive line made it so hard for the linebackers to to be in the right place at the right time that the linebackers looked like they're out of sync too. They're like, okay, well, we don't even know what's happening because we're already having these offensive linemen in our face, you know, five yards down the field. And it's like, we can't get to the ball carrier. We can't tackle him. We can't do anything getting his way. And so, you know, there's no, at no point, I don't even care who you play. In no way should a running back ever average a first down every time he touches the ball at Division mm-hmm. One, and he Seriously. almost had 300 yards rushing. He finished with 284 on 27 carries. They and, were averaging 8.7 yards a carry, and that's what I'm saying. Even their backup had over 100 yards, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the stuff that you can't have. You know, it's like the the defensive line, the de- the linebackers, the defensive backs. Like the defensive backs didn't play horrible, but it's like. You know, you could tell that they just didn't have depth, and it just was too hard for them to stay with their guys because Khalil Tay had all the time in the world. And even that was what, you know, the thing that upset me the most was Khalil Tay even torched this defense with having a hurt leg, right? When it was, when Doug like ripped on his leg and he was limping and, and, he, and then why didn't we pin our ears back and go after him right, every play? Right. You know? you know, and that's, and, you know, maybe that was on the coaches. I get it, and that's another thing I want to touch on. Is you know, I can touch on that later. But with coaches and and coaching staff, it's just like you know, players getting used to the coaches. The coaches have to get used to coaching together, right? So when yeah, they hit some yeah. adversity, something has to you know, right? They have to find something to overcome it, and that's why I always like to say that's how you can kind of measure growth. But they like. And people, you know, a lot of people are asking, do we even have the talent to to match up with these Pac-12 teams? Personally, I think we do because we. I'm not gonna lie, I, we played absolutely horrible, right? And 
it was 35-14, and I get it. We scored a last-second touchdown in garbage time. But, you know, even then, like, it's not like, you know, it's just undisciplined football is what it is. And a lot of people are asking me or asking you, Angie, as well, if it's a talent thing, like, would we be better in the Mountain West? No, we wouldn't be better in the Mountain West. It's it's not like we'd get bad athletes. Like, Jamar Jefferson is a great athlete. Isaiah Hodgins is a great athlete. Like Elu Aiden, he is a great defensive. He could he excuse me, he could be a great defensive lineman. But it's not on it's not on, you know, talent. Because talent I feel like has never been really the issue. It's disciplined football. Because back, you know, what was it? Oregon State was the most winning or was the third most winning program or whatever. Someone told me a stat from two thousand, I think it was to two thousand ten in the Pac twelve. Right. And so it's not a talent thing. It's a it's a discipline thing and it's a learning how to win thing. Cause these guys, Angie, and you could say it yourself, you've been around, you know, you've seen Oregon state longer than me. This team just doesn't look like they know how to win. No, no. And I do think it's going to, they're, you know, they need some bigger, stronger, faster guys. I, yeah. I think this defense is going to look a little different next year when you get more more spates in the mix and Avery Roberts in the mix. And, um, you know, Matthew Tago and John McCartan have some time, um, to you know, add weight, and um, I would like to see Key add some some more weight too. You know, playing outside linebacker, what is he like two or five? Yeah, I think yeah. he's like two or five, two ten, something 10. like that. Love to see him get a little little more, um, you know, weight on him. But um, yeah, I mean, they just you're right. It's it's the I think that things maybe start hitting some adversity, and instead of fighting back, they kind of go, oh well, this is how it goes. This is how it always goes. Yeah, and, um, and that's what it is. Like you know. When you look at a team like, you know, you look at a team like Washington or you look at a team like a great example is Colorado. Forget that I even said Washington. A great example is Colorado. I remember I used to make fun of people in high school who were getting offers from Colorado because I was like, do you really want to go there? Like, do you really want to go there, man? Like they're getting blown out 70 to 7 or stuff like that. But now it's flipped, right? What did they do? They, they got dragged through the mud for so long. And they st- and it just took time with recruits and everything. And finally, the players were like, "Listen, man, I'm pissed off. I'm tired of losing. Like, forget the the pregame, like it's game day Instagram posts. Forget, you know, going out on the weekends. It starts with the players, and it starts with if the players don't want to win and can't and won't and refuse to learn how to win, then they're not going to win. That's just realistic. And I'm yeah. not trying to be, you know, as People will say, quote, unquote, outside noise and be a hater. But, you know, at some point, I know for a fact because I just know how it goes because I've been there, right? When we were losing, I was like, okay, what am I going to do on the weekends? I'm just going to go on party because forget it, right? It's like we're going to – we suck anyway. We're going to lose. And then that's when you need a leader. A good example is either Marcus, Ryan Nall, somebody, right? Somebody like that, you know, Brandon Arnold – those kind of players that are like, or Manasse, anybody really, or Tristan Deku, Devin Chappelle, all those guys, they were like, listen, yeah, man, yeah. like, Mark, like, I remember Devin Chappelle telling me, he's like, listen, man, you know, I came over with Devin as a walk on from Western Oregon. He was like, listen, man, if you're going to come over here just to party, he's like, I do not want you on the team and I will make sure that you are not on the team. And that's when I was like, you're right. It finally clicked. And that's kind of how it was. Guys start, started buying in more. Because let's be realistic, Angie. We've already said this. The last coaching staff wasn't good, but what yeah, did they yeah. do? But what what happened that the season that we won four games? Right, four games. That's not a lot, but it, we could have won way more, and that's because all of us were bought in. 
We knew we, yeah. had, we had more time. We or we knew we needed more time and more development. But we all finally bought in, and you could tell as a result that we were ready to do whatever to win. And I don't think these guys are there yet, and that's the biggest problem to me. And it's what I worry about. I, I don't know who that leader is, right. right, or who those leaders are that can step up and and you know because we know how it is. Things start going sideways, and then you get the guys in the locker room that are you know, well, this is stupid, and this sucks, and right. I'm not playing, and and I should be playing, and. It happens, right? So you need the leaders that can step in because you can't have the locker room go sideways. And then, from my vantage point, you can't have those, you know, your best recruiters are the players, the current players. Mm-hmm. And so you can't have, you know, you can't have guys hosting recruits that are, you know, this is stupid and we yeah, suck. And right. You can't have that. You can't have the attitude. So I, I just don't know who that leader is. I and mean, you mentioned a ton of guys that have come through, you know, Brandon Arnold. And some of these I, see, I think Shailen Moore. Um, could be one of those guys. Easily. Veteran. Um, but, you know, we need some of those vocal. I think Isaiah Hodgins, even for a younger guy, could be that guy. Well, right. But, and I uh, think he's finally understanding that because, listen, I know for a fact, and this isn't like this isn't anything other than me understanding how it is as a player. I guarantee you, you know, today at practice or yesterday at practice, Isaiah Hodgins came in and he said, if you guys don't want to win and all you guys want to do is party, get the hell off my team because that's yep. what you and that's what you really need right so there's players that are like that there's a there's player you know a good example is Hamakar Rashid i know for a fact that because i have you know i'm friends with him and so we i understand how his work ethic is you know him and key i saw something or i was i don't even remember what it was but both of them as soon as the game was over right they you know they knew that they could have played better but what happened after that, I went on, I went on Snapchat, and they're in the gym working out. They went to the gym. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, there was a, a big group of guys that went and worked out. Right, and so and stuff like that. Like, you know, it shouldn't take you losing that bad or playing that bad of a game to do that. But I'm, you know, I'll I'll sweep that under the rug because that's what you need. Like, once players start doing that, you know, like a good another great example is I remember when when I got to Oregon State, Stormwoods would tell me about uh, the Roger brothers and Angie. You were around for them. I yeah, wasn't around, yeah. but. I was told that they would stay after practice almost two hours every single day. Every day. Every day. I have never seen anything like it working out. Brandon Cook's the same way. Yeah. Uh, we're hearing Connor Blount is, is very much the same way. He's on the he's the last one off the field every single day after practice. Um, yeah, the James, James Rogers and uh, Brandon Cooks to this day, I've never seen anything like it. Right, and that's the kind of stuff you need because those are your leaders. Those are the guys who are making it you know, making all Pac-12 or making it to the NFL or taking the next step in football. But, you know, and I know for a fact Coach Smith is going to do this. I have, you know, 100% confidence in this coaching staff. I feel like a lot of people are already starting to question it. But, Angie, like we were saying, you know, for anyone who's listening, for our listeners, this season is not about to be like we're about to go to a bowl game. You know, if they make it to a bowl game and they prove us wrong, you know (laughs) – Please, I would love that. No, but like we talked about earlier in this, before the season even started, that you know, new coaching staff, they have to build a foundation. And first it started with changing the culture, which that has happened. And there's going to be, when you're in this rebuild, there's going to be you know, good things. There's going to be setbacks. I just hope that the setback isn't something that can spiral downward. So, um, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I, think I, well, I think I picked three wins this season. But really it wasn't going to be about wins and losses. It was about improvement Yeah, and, and um, exactly. you know, seeing that team fight. And, and so, so I think, you know, I think this was a setback definitely, but 
it, you can't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater right now. There's still, mm-hmm. what do we have? Seven games left? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how it is. It just takes time. It takes a lot, you know, and it's, you know, as upset as the fans are, you know, I was upset at, on Saturday because I was like, this team is so much better than this. You know, last season when they almost lost to Portland State, I was like, I kind of just shrugged my shoulders because I was like, yeah, they're yeah. just not very good. You know, they're not talent. They're not very talented. You know, they have athletes, but they just can't play together and they don't and they're not well coached. But now it's like they're well coached. You know, whether people, you know, want to get mad about how they managed the clock, how they did this, how they did that. That's the whole point of learning. That's why you see a coach like, you know, and Chip Kelly. What happens everywhere? Yeah, happens Chip Kelly's everywhere. a great coach. So is Scott Frost. He just got done winning 12 games, and Scott Frost is what, 0-3? Yeah. You know, or that, look at uh, the clock management down in down in Eugene this, this weekend. You yeah. Know, people are questioning Cristobal for not taking an E. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the kind of stuff, like, it's college football. Like, you, you know, and I get it as an Oregon State fan and a former player that, you know, you're pissed off because you're like, I'm tired of losing. Like, I'm tired. Of, yeah. I'm tired of it. I just want to be, you know, because Oregon State used to be pretty dang good, be on top of the Pac-12 most of the time. And now they're like, okay, well, we're tired of losing. Like, a lot of people I know are like, well, I'm, I just don't even watch the games anymore because I know they're going to lose. Right? But yeah. that's the kind of stuff, like, it takes time. And I'm, you know, trust me, it sucks. Especially being a former player, it sucks because I don't, I never want to see my old team get killed all the time. But statistically, Angie, they look a lot better. They look way better. And that's why I got so upset. And I just went on a rant for like 10 minutes. I'm sorry you didn't really get to say anything, (laughs) but, you know, stuff like that, like it's, it's frustrating. And I'm only that frustrated because I know that they're better. Last year, like I said, I wouldn't be that mad. I was like, okay, they suck. But this year, I'm like, they're better. They're way better. So do something about it, y'all. Like, go watch film. I, like, I wish, I know the players probably don't even listen to this, but, like, someone like Elu, and I know I always pick on Elu, but I only pick on him because I know he could really be that good. Like, he could easily, and I'm saying easily, because I've seen him try, and I've seen him put him a lot of effort and be dedicated. And, Angie, I'm not kidding. I haven't seen one person who could stop him. Like, not one person at all. Even in the Civil War when we won two years ago. That was the Elu I wanted to see because he absolutely dominated that Oregon offensive line. And they weren't bad. They just, they just, they weren't bad at all. And Elu just flat out dominated them. And that's why I wanted to see. I mean, that's just it. You're you're like the parent that, you know, you just, you have, you know, your kid could be so much better. Yeah. If they just tried a little bit harder. Yeah. And I, you know, in every player is different. It takes a little bit to try to, you know, figure out what makes one player get mad, one player, you know, how to step him up, you know, step his game up. Some players, it's coaches saying, listen, man, you're not going to play. Like, flat out, you're not going to play unless you prove me wrong, right? And that's the way I look at it because that's the way I always were. I was always coached. They're like, listen, Marcus, you suck at blocking. I remember Coach Laga saying, listen, you have all the talent in the world to catch, to run. You're a great running back but you suck at blocking. And I was like, okay, like that's what I needed to hear. And what happened? I got super pissed off. I was tired of it. And so after practice, I would stay with Jalen Bailey, Ryan Nall, Storm Woods, you know, all these guys, even coach Lockett, coach Mitch. And I would stay back and I would just let, you know, people would just bull rush me and I would be getting ran over time and time again. Finally, I got pissed off enough. I was like, okay, I'm going to block this guy and I don't give a damn. Like I'm going to find a way to do it. And I got way better at blocking and then that's when I, you know, I get to break the lineup. I get to play more. I get to do this and that. 
But I feel like not all those guys have that mentality. And that's, you know, and I don't know what it is. Sometimes some players can take it. Sometimes they can't. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that we need to see. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, I was I was a great player because I was a special teams player. I accepted my role, right? I was like, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, if I have to block, I'm going to block. On kick return, I was like, if they kick me the ball and, like, they kick it to Vic and I'm not supposed to be, you know, because I was off return, okay, I'm just going to go block somebody as hard as I can. But that's, the, you know, that's the kind of stuff we want to see, like, Guys have to accept their roles. Stop getting pissed off if coaches, you know, get mad at you because, listen, man, they just want you to be good. And that's why I always call these players out because I'm hoping eventually someone's going to listen to this podcast and eventually someone's going to be like, you know what, Marcus, I'm tired of you talking smack. I'm going to go out, right, like Elu. I want Elu to tweet at me. I want him to do something and be like, listen, man, I'm tired of you talking smack. I'm going to go out and get three sacks. If he did that, I would be like, Elu, I'm I'm never talking smack to you again because you proved me wrong, Right. But it's like we need to see this kind of stuff. And so, Angie, I'm finally going to let you talk. I'm sorry. I'm over my rant. It was getting a little hot. I almost had to take off my sweatshirt because I was a little mad. But uh... <laughs> but I like the passion. Right. See, you have passion. And so my, my little mini rant for the day, and I, I get it, right? I get the fact that the Beavers have not been good. The Beavers have struggled a lot. But – I expected the first home game of the season, or first Pac-12 home game of the season, students back in session, a one o'clock kick. We're not talking late night driving home at dark. Yeah. We're, I thought the crowd, besides the students, was embarrassing. Yeah. Completely embarrassing. Like I said, I get all the excuses in the world. I get it. You know, I, I get that, you know, one of, don't want to be driving home at one in the morning and um, or traffic. There wasn't traffic with the traffic because that was a five o'clock kick. It was one o'clock. The weather wasn't that bad. I just I expected so much more from Beaver Nation. I thought this team deserved that. Now after the performance this week, I don't think Washington State's going to have that big a crowd. But yeah, I thought after even after the, the Nevada loss where they clawed and fought and, and came back within that within two points, I thought the team had earned the fan support. And mm-hmm. that pissed me off. Right. You know, and, so. and that's, that, it's stuff like that. Like, listen, I know for a fact because I, I was, I played in the game against UCLA. What was it? Three years ago when we lost 40, it was like 48 to nothing at halftime. And I, I would put this on everything, this next paycheck I get, whatever it is. I think we maybe had a thousand people in the crowd. If that. Yeah. And yeah. it was horrible. I hated every moment of it, and it just took so much from me as a player. And that's why I was like, okay, I'm tired of this. I'm waking up early in the morning. That's why the running back group I thought got so much better from year to year to year because, you know, when I when AP first got there and I was there, AP wasn't very good. You know, AP, I mean, he was talented, but he, you know, he didn't want to take his game to the next level because I think he was comfortable and whatever it was. And then I don't know what clicked in AP's mind if someone, you know, doubted him or they were like, okay, well, I don't know if AP's really that good. And then, you know, look at him against Ohio State. I was like, AP's going to be good. And everyone's like, Marcus, you're kind of crazy. Like, yeah, he's going to be good, but how good is he really going to be? And I was like, I know how hard AP's been working. And then it showed, right? Unfortunately, he got injured. But it's stuff like that. Like, you could tell Jamar Jefferson, right, Angie, has been putting in the work over the summertime because he came in yeah. and he came in ready to play, and he has a chip on his shoulder, and he still does. He was still running the ball in the fourth quarter like it was the last time he was going to run the ball, 
and he almost had a 100-yard game again as a true freshman. Like, as a true freshman. Exactly. It's just stuff like that. Like, it's going to flip when the players want it to flip. And I know we said that. That sounds like a Gary Anderson thing, and I hate it. But <laughs> but it's, it's true. Talk you know? about big boy pants. I know. <laughs> but, it, you know, that's still a thing, though. Like, And I think – I finally got all that off my chest, everybody, and so I'm I'm sorry if I sounded kind of mad and was like yelling at the mic, and you guys were like, "Geez, man, relax." But I feel a lot better now. But you know, I don't want to say the season's lost. They still have a lot of fight in them. They really do. And they do. And the offense, yeah. The, I mean, you look at a team like USC, right? And it's all just about. I don't want to say timing, but it's about you know, every once in a while you're going to get in a slump, like in a game like that. Like Oregon State's offense looked horrible. With all the athletes and all, you know, and everything that's been clicking, they looked horrible. But you go over to a place like Nebraska, and if it's, you know, if everyone wants to use maybe the talent argument that Oregon State's talent, like, and Angie, you know, you broke it down, and and it's true, maybe they're not as talented as some teams, but it's not like, you know, you're throwing out, you know, it's not like they're playing Corvallis High School against Arizona. Like, these guys are, are getting, you know, like, these guys are pretty good. For yeah. example, Isaiah yeah. Hodgins, he's pretty good, right? He's pretty damn good. But it's, you know, you look at a team like Nebraska, and Nebraska gets all these four and five stars, and they're 0-3. 0-3, yeah. It's just chemistry. It's flipping culture. It's it's whatever it is, right? It just takes time. That's how college football is. Like, Alabama hasn't always been the best team in the, you know, in the country, right? There was, I think there was like five or six, maybe ten consecutive years that they weren't very good. But what happened, Nick Saban got there, he flipped the culture, it took some time, and then they're winning national championships, you know, year in and year out. It just takes time. And I yeah. have no yeah. doubt in my mind that Oregon State is going to be competitive this season, competitive or pretty good next season, maybe the season after we get a bowl game. Like, you know, there's just there's just so much negativity when a team has a bad game, you know, and like, yeah. Like that was a bad game, but the game before, that's there's people saying like, okay, this team actually has something, and that's what I'm saying. Like, they just don't know how to win. Coach Smith, well, here, is gonna, Coach Smith is going to teach them how to win, but it takes time. And and here's my, I, I guess if there, I can take anything from what we're seeing is the fact that the guys that this new staff has recruited are doing pretty dang pretty dang good. Yeah. You look at Jamar. You look at like I said, some of those. Freshman linebackers, Matthew Tago, John McCartan. Um, there's a there's a crew of those guys that um, true freshmen that could be pretty dang good. Yeah, and so and, and then the and then the transfers. You know, you, you bring those guys into the mix, and it's like, okay, they know what they need. This, yeah. this isn't like they know they know what they need to do to be competitive. So yeah, and it, you know, we, you know, and Angie, just to probably sum up our rants, you know, this I like I said. This team has talent. They're good enough to compete with people because there's no, you know, they drop some losses, right? They drop to Nevada. They go down early, but then they fight back. You know, offense played great. Then they, I mean, offense played bad. Then they played great towards the end. Defense played great or bad, excuse me, and then played great. It's just how it goes. Like, it's just learning. It's time. It's finding the right players who can play you know, the best football together and the coaches understand that. And I've, and you know, the more that the quote unquote outside noise, you know, maybe me ranting at everybody saying, listen, 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 they're going to be fine. It just takes some time. And I understand like, trust me, I definitely get it. I'm, I'm tired of seeing them lose too. Like we said, 
but it just takes time. And I think I've understood that and I understand that. And that's why I'm like, I can sit back and breathe. I had to get some stuff off my chest, obviously with that rant, but I can breathe a little <laughs> bit. I feel a little better. Like Good now therapy. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that was it. But, uh, Angie, finally we're done with our rants, everyone. If you guys are still listening, I appreciate it. I was going off for a while. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, Angie, let's get some damn questions in. Let's get some damn questions. Damn questions are brought to you by Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. Dr. Jason Young has been the chiropractor for Oregon State Athletics since 2011. Go to yourbodyofhealth.com for more information. Okay. Let You ready for some questions, Marcus? Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, we have, um, I have a bunch in the lodge, so good job, uh, Blitz fans, because this is, there's some really good ones here. I'm going to just jump right in here. Matt Giafoni in the lodge just asked, did OSU miss out on not hiring Keith Hayward? Tibbs may wind up being a good DC, but we need talent, and Keith Hayward could have brought them. Uh, Angie, I think that that might be more for you. I just, I mean, from what I know with, with Coach Hayward at Oregon is that he's been killing it in the recruiting. And I saw some stat from, I don't know what, who wrote it? It was some article, but they said Coach Hayward was like a top five recruiter in the country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's an amazing recruiter. Um, you know, I, I I think the jury's still out on Coach Tibisar, but I like – I mean, he fits so well with the staff. Yeah. And, you know, Jonathan couldn't bring everybody from Oregon, you know, that his former teammates. Yeah. It was, um, You need some different minds in there. He already had brought Trent Bray in. Um, and, there, you know, you, you need to mix it. You can't have all, you know, Mark Banker – not <laughs> yeah. you, you have to kind of mix it up a little bit and get and i and i think with coach tibbetsar is he is really known for his teaching and coaching um maybe not as strong of a recruiter but then i say that and he's landed some really you know he was Aishon stewart and some of those midwest ties were, mm. were all him so um i think the jury's out and and you know who who's to say that keith hayward won't be at oregon state someday but um I, you know at this point, I, I like the staff that Smith has in place. Yeah, I, de- I mean, I definitely like the staff. Like I've said, um, I think that they're they're great at getting guys to buy into the program, I should say, because, you know, obviously not every player is going to play to their full potential. It takes a little bit. You have to try to piece together the puzzle of what makes a player click with another player or whatever it is, but, you know, from what the coaching staff had, and you, you know, when we look at it, they inherited kind of a mess. Like yeah. we, we were, you know, there was not a lot of depth. Some players, you know, were not bought into the program. You got to kind of try to piece together the the mess and puzzle that the last staff left because they, I mean, like we like we know they kind of just left. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, they just left. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's hard to piece together the puzzle. But I really like the staff and. From talking to uh, Coach Tibazar, I really like him. I like his mentality, and, you know, he's – it. I don't want to say like an effort guy, but, you know, that's kind of what you need right now is guys who are going to give you the max effort because if it's not going to show in wins, then it might as well show in some effort, right, and fight. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I like that question. That was a good one. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, here for the Beavs asks, um, he said, is this team still together or are they starting to fold? Coach Smith mentioned that there's some tape out there, and now people are catching on to our scheme. We have to remember every game is winnable. We get Stanford's comeback. Um, but you, I mean, you know some of these players. Yeah. Do you think they're still still on board, or are they starting to, to question the new staff? No, 100% they're still on board. And, you know, that's why it's always 
I don't want to say it's frustrating because that's a good question, and especially if you weren't, you know, if you weren't a player and you see a team like do really good and then maybe they do really bad, you're like, okay, then like, did everybody just not buy in anymore? Or like, what's the deal? But um, no, there's they're bought in. It's just like you know, like Coach Smith said, people have you know, people have film on them now, so they know what they try, what they're gonna try to do, and that's when it just comes to a chess match that you you have to figure out. Okay, well, you know, Arizona was horrible in the run. But they somehow, you know, they brought their linebackers into the box, understanding that, you know, we maybe just have to double team Isaiah Hodgins. But after that, what, you know, we can just bring more pressure. If we get pressure on the quarterback, he's going to escape, blah, 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 whatever it is. They just out schemed us that game. And it happens, right? That's why USC gets blown out by Texas. That's why, you know, Colorado beats Nebraska. It's just, you know, I don't think that at all, from knowing the players that I know on the team now, that they gave up on the staff and like they're already frustrated with them. They just want to win, but they just have to learn how to win. And the staff is trying to teach them how to win. And so that, I mean, that's my take on it. Yeah. I I think you're, here's another question about um, the transfers uh, asking how they are are doing practicing with the scout team. Um, Avery Roberts, the linebacker transfer from Nebraska, I hear is amazing. Is doing amazing work on the scout team. Um, and Tristan Gabia is the quarterback on the scout team, and I've heard really good things about him too. So um, two very big positives. I know Addison Gums is still everyone's radar. I have several sources that say he is going to be a beef. Um, but mind you, he is um, recovering from ACL surgery. So I'm not sure when that official announcement. I asked around this weekend, and there was no word on you know, win an official announcement, but he is enrolled at Oregon State. So um, you have that for an update. I am not going, I'm not backing off my stance that he is coming to Oregon State. He is coming to Oregon State. I trust my sources way too much to uh, say he's not. So um, ACLs, though, are a year-long rehab process. So, yeah, they are. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It could be even something to do with, um, like, scholarship numbers, perhaps. You know, and I would expect that, you know, if that's the case, we'd see a, a winter you know, before January announcement on that. But um, all indications, all sources, I am sticking to my guns. I know some out there questioned our original report a couple of weeks ago, but um, you guys you guys know me. I don't run things unless I feel pretty confident. In fact, I'm a lot of times too conservative on things. So um, I still feel very, very confident that Addison Gums will be here and uh, we'll see him next season. All right, Angie. Given the insight, that's what I'm talking about. Andy, this um, is a good question yeah. for I would say both of us. You, like I said, you've been around Oregon State longer than I have, and so I'm already going to have a biased opinion. But this is from Gary, uh, the Beaver. He said, "Is it even realistic to recidify this football program within the next decade?" I 100% say yes, without a doubt. I would say maybe even next year. They're you know they're four games, five games winning. That's how I look at it. But I just look at it as, you know, the players are going to buy in. It just, it's when, it's when they can learn how to win because they're, I would say not when the players buy in, excuse me, because I think that they are bought in to the schemes, to the ideas, to everything. It just takes time to win because, you know, it, not, not one coach walked in, you know, besides Mark Helfrich because he walked into a bunch of talent but walked into a program and was like, okay, we're going to win, you know, 10-plus games. You know, it just doesn't work. Like, maybe it does if you have enough talent, but even then, eventually it's going to fold because it comes down to recruiting. It comes down to 
you know, all this stuff, Angie, that you would probably know more than I do. But I just, you know, from a player standpoint, I think that they're bought in and they just need to learn how to win. Because think about it. If they would have beat Nevada, if Jordan would have made that field goal, I feel like all of us, even myself, and if they would have had the exact same performance against Arizona, I still feel good about the team, right? Yeah, and, it, yeah. and, you know, it's just it's just looking at it, okay, if he makes a 35-yard field goal, the season not is saved, but we all feel better because they got to win. And I know at yeah. the end of the day that's all that it comes down to is wins and losses, but they look like if we just go game to game, they look so much better, it's like almost crazy to me. And so that's yeah. why I say they're going to be better. They're going to be a lot better. It's just I don't time. know if I say next year, but I, I think we'll see if, I mean, I say within four to five years, we should be seeing significant improvement. Yeah. I like the sound of that. I'll take that. That's, that's my, my, my thought. Um, here's one. This is to me, Matt Chiafoni again. Matt, I know you ask this like every week, and I did balk at you. So, Angie, you balked at me when I said Oregon State needed a three to four JUCO D lineman uh, this this cycle. I stand by that and say three to four may not be enough. Save for Hodgins, the rest of the roster is at a lower tier Mountain West D line. Even linebacker, two to three JUCO kids, in addition to the transfers, may be needed. My your thoughts? Okay, I do. I'm I'm going back on saying because I just I think where this defensive line is right now, they need more help than like a Corey Stover or. Um, Bennett, Evan Bennett, the commits, or Kel, uh, Kelson Hennessy. Those are the three prep D-line commits right now um, that Oregon State has. Bennett, I think, is going to be more um, apt to be game-ready than Hennessy and Stover. Um, but they do have some guys, you know, Dawkins, Bickler. I think Bickler could be – they can get his weight up. I think, I think he's already at 250, 260 right now. Get him in that 275, 290 range. He'll be a, a force. Um, but I do think D-line, and I've heard Oregon State will be looking for like two, one to two JUCO D-linemen. Mm. And I do think that's needed at this point. Yeah. Um, linebacker, I don't, you know, honestly, I'm in the camp. I don't think necessarily we need um, any any JUCO help. I mean, we're going to have the um, transfer with Avery Roberts. He'll be he'll be in the mix. Omar Spates, the commit. Um, Jeremy Reichner's brother, and, and, and don't forget about Jeremy Reichner. That's another another D lineman that um, was really off to a great start. Uh, he was a JC D lineman from this year's class. Good start this fall, and then an injury has sidelined him. So um, you would have Omar Spates, Avery Roberts. You have those guys in the middle. Then you have Key and Hamilcar. You have uh, Matthew Tago, John McCartan at linebacker. So to me, I think linebacker is okay, um, but D line. Like I said, depending on how Bickler and Deshaun or um, Keyshawn Dawkins kind of pan out, um, you, you bring Reichner back in the mix. Um, Kalani is done. He's a senior this year, depending on what Elu does. Um, but I could, you know, if they can find one or two uh, kick-ass D-linemen that are going to be nasty and get in there and, and, you know, wreck some things up, I say go for it. Yeah. Angie, since we are on that recruiting this is from uh, Oregon State Beaver Dam. Do you think the coaches are recruiting hard enough? I see. I am seeing a lot of talent, uh, talented players up in Washington for the upcoming class that are being offered from every Pac-12 school except us. Well, you know, I, I do think Oregon State's doing well recruiting. Um, 
but nothing's going to be fast, right? It's not like Oregon State is this destination sexy school that kids are waiting for offers for from. So, um, you know, Oregon State just offered a couple guys a 2020 class. Um, there's a lot of talent up there in the 2020-2021 classes that um, the Beavers will be in the mix with. But a lot of those kids are kind of waiting to see mode. So um, I, I like the guys they're going after. I mean, I you know, they have a couple guys already committed. We've talked about several, but then you have Michael Earhart or Ryan Frankie, both really smart defensive players. Like I said, don't forget Tristan Gebbia is a is a J, uh, is a um, transfer quarterback, so he's in the mix. Um, you know, there's there's some guys that you know, and some of these freshmen this year might suck as far as wins and losses. But look at all these freshmen that are getting playing time. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll be that much better, that much bigger, that much stronger. They'll know what to expect next year, um, and should be able to hit the ground running instead of trying to, you know, drink by the fire hose, fire hose. Yeah, Angie, good stuff. Oh, my goodness. I was, like, super into that. <laughs> uh, do you have another <laughs> question, Angie? Listening after your rant. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Birdo223 asks, I would like to see eight to nine men in the box on defense. Puts corners on an island, but I would rather force the QB to beat us with perfect dimes on man-on-man coverage than watch teams run for 400 yards rushing. Is it possible we'll see more aggressive alignment focus on stopping the run going forward? Uh, I, I mean, I could see it. He, that's a, you know, that's a honestly a great point. That's kind of what I was thinking. That I, you know, there's times where the defensive backs and the corners, especially, you know, I think the safeties play great. I think the corners just don't have a lot of depth, so that's tough. But yeah, um, I don't think that you know wide receivers and receivers that they go up against are really that much better than they are. If in you know if they are, so. I would say, you know, maybe Coach Tibizar is thinking, okay, how about this? Like ASU used to do, and ASU felt confident in their defensive backs enough. You know, maybe there's times where they were getting beat. But, you know, if you get so much pressure on the line and on the quarterback that he's making dumb decisions, that's where you get, you know, the mistakes and the the fumbles, the interceptions, stuff like that. But a great example, like I said, is is Arizona State a couple years ago. That's that's what they did. So they're they're – Defensive line wasn't playing very well, so they brought more guys into the box, stacked the box, and then teams had to beat them with perfect passes. And so unless you play a team, you know, like Oregon who has Justin Herbert, uh, Washington who has Jake Browning, stuff like that, it made it so, it made it hard for teams to beat them. And so if they did get beat, they're getting beat because they, they were simply getting beat by a quarterback who was really that good, right? And yeah, so yeah. I could definitely see it being a possibility. I would like to see that maybe next game because – with a team like um, Arizona State, they have a quarterback in Manny Wilkins who can, you know, move, run around the pocket, but he he's not going to beat you with perfect passes. So if you can get enough pressure on him, then he's going to throw, you know, he's going to throw the ball away. And that was the biggest thing with Manny Wilkins in his, you know, early in his career is that a lot of NFL scouts said he makes bad decisions with his passes when he's under pressure. So you get him under pressure, he's going to make bad decisions. So if you see that and you can do that, you might as well do it because you might as well start taking your chances, figuring out what is going to work and what's not going to work. Very good. See, I love the football insight you bring us. Hey, that's, that's what I've got, but are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Yes, let's do it. Is this like the quick ready? hitters, right? Yep, quick hitters. All right, sweet. Yeah, okay. let's do it. Rapid-fire. Actually, before I start with my rapid-fire, I want to thank um, Jace, Dr. Jason Young and Body of Health Wellness Chiropractic and Wellness Center just for their sponsorship. You can see them at www.yourbodyofhealth.com. So thank you for your sponsorship of the damn questions. Okay, now we will start with our rapid fire 
Are you ready, Marcus? I'm putting you on the hot seat. Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. Okay. Will and Keel Harry have over 300 yards receiving? No. Will Jamar Jefferson rush for over 100 yards? Yes. Who scores first for Oregon State? Jamar Jefferson. Do the Beavers sack Manny, uh, Manny Wilkins at least once? Yes. Which wide receiver leads the Beavers? Ooh, Isaiah Hodge. Actually, Timmy Hernandez this game. Timmy Hernandez. Okay. If Jake Luton is able to go, and we have not heard word on that yet, who starts, him or Blount? Blount. First offensive play for Oregon State, run or pass? Uh, they're probably going to run. Who leads the Beavers in tackles this week? In tackles? Yes. I'm going to say Hamakar Rashid. He's going home, so he has to make a statement. He's got to make a statement. And do the Beavers score over 30? Yes. Okay. Bold statements, I know. Actually, not scoring 30 is not a bold because, you know, I picked Arizona State to be my sleeper team in the Pac-12, especially in the Pac-12 South. I think that, you know, they're they're talented offensively, obviously with Nikhil Harry. He's probably the best receiver in the country. But I think if they can get pressure because when they lost to – Washington. Washington didn't do anything special because Washington's receivers right now, I would say it's a down year for their receivers. But just being able to uh get pressure on Manny Wilkins, and that's exactly what they did, made it somewhat it made it hard for the offense to really get in sync and really roll. And, you know, maybe I think this is a down year for Washington's offense, especially, but even then their offense was moving the ball with quick short passes. And so they weren't bombing the ball downfield every play. Instead, you know, obviously you do quick outs, you do spot routes. And another thing to add is uh I want to say Arizona State, I think in the past, I so don't quote me on this, y'all, but I've been, you know, when I whenever Oregon State plays a team, I like to try to break down the film. And it looks like tight ends always, not always, but usually have big games against Arizona State, right? And so we have, who do we have? Noah Togiai. Isaiah and Noah. Yeah, and I think Isaiah stepped up big time, and so was Noah. So now it's, you could switch it up because, you know, in the past we had we had Thule, right? And Thule was more of the big guy who's going to go block. So when Thule's out on the field, guys are like, okay, you know, what do you what I say when you watch film tendencies like that? Okay, Tuli's on the field, they're gonna run. Okay, but now you look now we have Noah who can block, we have Isaiah who can block, we have Noah who can run routes and catch, Isaiah who can run routes and catch. So I just think it's gonna be a good matchup because, you know, a lot of, it I feel like Oregon State just matches up well against these guys. The only problem obviously is Nikhil Harry. He's a beast. I don't know. Arizona's running back's first name, but Benjamin, he has good vision, and Arizona State's offensive line has been pre- playing pretty well. But, like, um, I couldn't even, you know, tell you who asked that question. But if we stack the box and take away the run and force Manny Wilkins to beat us with, you know, and obviously we have outside containment so he can't run around because he's pretty athletic. If we make it so he has to beat us with his arm, I think we can truly beat him because yeah. he doesn't have the best arm, but – or. He has a big arm. He's not the most accurate. Excuse me. So I guess we'll see, Angie. I'm excited to see it. All right, Angie. Well, awesome. do we have anything else to add? I think we're good. All right. I'm excited. Can you give us your score prediction? My score prediction, I am going with ASU 42, Oregon State 24. It's not bad. I mean, it's yeah. not good. No, it's not <laughs> but good, it's not but I just – and, you know, ASU hasn't scored a lot as much as I thought they would, but I don't know. Until the defense proves me otherwise, yeah, I just can't uh, can't do that. And I think the offense was just out of rhythm for, for hopefully, you know, hopefully, obviously, 
Um, they were just out of rhythm. Yeah. What, we're, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to say Arizona State, their offense is really good. I don't think Nikhil Harry is going to uh, re- get over 300 yards receiving, but I think he's going to have a big game. I mean, he has a big game against everybody. He's probably the best receiver in the nation, like I said. So I'm going to say ASU, I'll say 48, Oregon State, 30. Let's go 31. 48-31, okay. Maybe 52-31, something. <laughs> I think the offense isn't going to be terrible, but ASU is really talented. They did knock off Michigan State, who is a very physical team. So yeah, yeah. Oregon State's going to have to bring their A game because I think this is probably the first game all season, I guess besides Ohio State, I should say. I think this is another game that they could really, you know, if they don't play well, that they could get blown out 100%. Yeah. So. Yeah. They they better bring their A game because they bring the offense that they brought. I know I thought that they would score over thirty one or thirty, but if yeah, if Oregon State plays offense like they did against Arizona, it is going to be a blowout without a doubt. And, and I don't think I, I think the history is not there. I don't think Oregon State's won down in Tempe, and I, I don't even know. I think twenty one ties. I don't know. I don't even know if I was alive last time they went down there. So. <laughs> oh goodness! Well. If you have nothing else to add, Angie, I want to thank everybody again for for listening to another episode of the Dan Podcast. I will apologize if there's people who listen to the whole thing. This is a a longer one than we usually do, but uh, I know I, I, Angie, I want to apologize to you too because I I took up half the damn podcast with me, not throwing a fit, but definitely going on a rant. But I had to get it off my chest. It might as well get it off my chest so people can listen. If you guys think I'm crazy, please, you, I mean. By all means, you can just tweet me or if you have my number, I don't know, call me or whatever. Just say I'm crazy <laughs> and yeah. But <laughs> I want to see some of the players call you out a little bit. That's what I want. That's, Please, somebody yeah. call me out. Like I, I know Isaiah Dunn did it once. I don't know another player who did it, but please call me out. Any player who's listening, I don't care who it is, call me out. Whatever you guys got to say to me to have a crazy good game. By all means, do it. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week on Monday to talk the Arizona State game and then the Beavs' next matchup.